Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Hope you are surviving the winter, at least the February, that will never end. Um, if you live in the northern portion of our listening area by the lake, you probably got 6 to 10 inches of snow. If you live in the southern portion of our listening area by the lake again, over a foot of snow. These numbers are just amazing. There are a couple pieces of good news. Finally, it looks like the snow is, is winding down. Secondly, it looks like the temperatures are warming up. Now, I understand 20 degrees is not warm, but 20 degrees is warm compared to where we were a couple days ago. And actually, there's some predicted 30s in the forecast as you move into next weekend. So may- maybe there's light at the end of the tunnel. But I tell you, at least over the last couple weeks, that light has been a train coming the other way. There is some other good news, though, for us in Wisconsin, at least at this point, And that is... Even though we have had a brutal stretch of weather over the course of the last couple weeks, relentless snow, biting, bitter, cold, as a general rule, we have not lost power. There have not been major power outages around Wisconsin. We Energies and the other utility providers have been able to keep the furnaces running. And I understand there might have been a couple isolated instances. But by and large, we have not lost power which underscores why these ideas of this Green New Deal that is out there, this idea of let's get away from nuclear, let's get away from coal, let's get away from natural gas, let's go to wind turbines, let's go to solar, why it is so absolutely insane. If you've been following the national news, you know that um, the the, the entire country has really been experiencing a brutal stretch of of winter weather. And one of the biggest problems that they've been having, for example, Texas, is essentially paralyzed because they're not able. First of all, they they don't do snow well. They don't do ice well. They don't do cold well in the south. But the other problem is they don't have enough power to meet the demands when you have a situation where, for example, everybody's turning on their furnaces. Why don't they have enough power, and why are there all these rolling blackouts? Well, it's because they have been moving away, despite the fact that, for example, in Texas, you know, they're just, they're just awash in natural gas and oil and things like that. They have been, at the direction of the government, moving away from coal, moving away from certainly nuclear, moving away from natural gas, moving away from oil, and going into more of these so-called environmentally friendly strategies. Let's, let's use wind turbine, par- turbines to, to generate power. Let's, let's have more solar power, which is all well and good, except when you get a major cold snap. Because the problem they're having in Texas right now is, wait for it, all these wind turbines that they use to generate power, they're frozen. They're frozen, so they can't generate power, so uh, the utility companies can't supply the demand. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I love the planet as well as the next person, perhaps better than most. But one of the things that's going on here is, especially with the Biden administration, you are seeing this push 
to let's let's get away from fossil fuels. Doesn't matter that the world is awash in natural gas. Doesn't matter that the world is awash in coal. And coal continues to be, by the way, one of the most one of the cheapest and most reliable ways to provide power. Doesn't matter that we've got nuclear capabilities for nuclear energy and we haven't built a new nuclear plant in you know how many decades that are there. And instead, we're we're trying to go let let's go to the solar stuff. Well, we haven't seen the sun in Wisconsin for any prolonged length of time for the last three, four, five weeks. How are we going to deal with that? What about these wind turbines? Well, it's all great until, again, you get 15 below zero and the things all freeze up. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And by the way, this big push for electric cars that we're hearing about, well, explain to me how the power grid is going to be able to sustain something like that. If the power grid can't provide heat to people when they need it in the winter when there's a cold snap, can you imagine if all of a sudden instead of 2% of people driving electric cars, you've got 40 to 50% of people driving electric cars? How in the world is the power grid going to support that? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It is situations like this, and it's days like today, across the country, which to me demonstrate, while, again, if you want to explore some of these alternate energy things, that's fine. But it's a niche, and it remains a niche. And the first priority should be making sure that when your furnace needs to turn on, there's power to turn your furnace on. Am I wrong? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It is weather events like the entire country is experiencing right now, which demonstrates the insanity of some of the policies that are being pushed in in Washington right now, trying to get us away from natural gas, trying to get us away from coal, trying to get us away from oil, trying to, well, we haven't built a nuclear plant in, in decades, saying, Let, let's go to all these environmentally friendly things. Let, let's put up the windmills. Let's put up the solar panels. Well, look what's happening all across the country. The energy supply isn't able to meet the demand, and you've got people that are freezing. 855-616-1620, Dana in Kenosha. Dana, good afternoon. Hey, how are you doing? Real well, thank you. What do you um, think? I, I agree with you 100%. I think that they're trying to move way too fast on this thing. And I, I mean, you know, I'm totally for a greener planet, like you're saying, but I just think that we need to ease into it a, a lot more and come up with better ways of how to do it. Um, I think if they cut it all out the way that they want to and as quick as they want to, we're going to face a lot of issues with traveling even. I mean, look at airplanes, boats, trains. Like, how are we going to do all of our traveling cross-country or across the world through this? You know, well, I mean, look at look at look at cars. Like that, right? I mean, you know, GM GM says they want to go to electric cars by by in the next fifteen years. Okay, well, electric cars means you have to have electricity to power those automobiles. Well, where is that electricity going to come from? I mean, if it's if 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 it's wind turbines and those wind turbines are frozen, I got news for you. You know, people aren't going to be able to power their cars to drive, even if they could get out on the road. Right. Yep. No. Yep. No, thanks. I agree 100%. No, Dana, 
Th- thanks for the call. It, see, it is days like today, and I understand that you've got all the green new dealers that are out there that are going, oh, we, we don't want to talk about this stuff. We don't want to deal with real-world consequences. Well, like I say, the, the good news about what we have been going through here in Wisconsin is the fact that we, you, we, we haven't had massive power outages. Can you imagine... If given what the last couple weeks have looked like, if we energies or any of the utility companies have been saying, you know, we, we can't meet the demand. And so because our wind turbines are frozen or because the solar panels have snow on them or whatever, can you imagine what would be happening if they would be saying, okay, well, here's the deal. It's going to be a wind chill of 30 degrees below, but we're, we're sorry. You know, you're only going to be able to run your furnace eight hours a, a day. We're going to have these rolling sort of blackouts. Can you imagine what, what that would be like, and that's precisely what they're going through down in Texas right now. Uh, let's go to some text. Jeff, no worries. I'm sure someone will ask Joe that question tonight, and he will explain how he will make this all work and how we'll never run out of electricity. That's at the town hall. No, I, I don't think that that's going to be one of the questions. Like, uh, President Biden, have you looked at what's going on in the country nowadays and, and this whole idea of the Green New Deal and, and let's try to get rid of fossil fuels and things like that? Um, yeah, Jeff, up in Random Lake, the school board voted to remove the windmill. It would cost more to fix than what the return would be. Um, yes, I- exactly. Jeff, finally, someone asked the question of how will our failing uh, power grid handle, you know, millions of new electric cars and trucks sucking all the wind-generated power? So thank you. Who's going to pay for the upgrade to the grid? Well, it's not just the upgrade to the grid. It, it's where is that power going to come from to power the grid? If all of a sudden we're, we're not using gasoline anymore and now we're, we're depending on that electricity, uh, electricity has to be generated. I mean, I understand that some people think that you just go over to the wall and you flip the switch and the electricity comes on. And, and yeah, that's how it works in your house. But there are utility providers who have to generate that electricity. And they use coal to do that. And it's the cheapest and most reliable source. And I understand that there's people, you know, the environmentalists who hate it. But still, I wonder, are, are you willing to have it 50 degrees in your home and your pipes freezing and your kids freezing, you know, during the winter? Where is the, you know, trade-offs on that? Um, let's see. Jeff, this is the tip of the iceberg. There will be more of these outages in the summer. Four coal power plants in Wisconsin are going offline in the t- next two years. There's no real plan for equal replacement. Um, yeah, e- exactly. Jeff, aren't the same people who are pushing for the Green New Deal objecting to the new transmission lines to get that mystery power to their electric cars? Well, yeah, there is an element of that as well. Um, Jeff, how about we push to upgrade the grid rather than promoting filthy coal? Okay, well, my, my question again stands. Where is the power going to come from? Now, if, if you say, okay, we're not going to use coal, all right, well, that, that's fine. How are we going to upgrade the grid? How are we going to generate the electricity? Is it going to be natural gas? Oh, okay, I'm with that. Are we going to look at building more nuclear plants? All right, I, I'm, I'm, I'm open to that as well. Although, like I say, I mean, you try to build a nuclear plant in this country, good luck with that. I'm just saying if we're talking about major upgrades to the grid and you think that you're going to be able to do it by wind turbines and solar power and things of the like, um, you're just, you're, you're kidding yourself. Jeff, I see nuclear, solar, and wind in our future. Well, again, wind is, is a component.
And, and, and solar is a component, and it, it works as kind of a niche. I, I understand that. But if you get to a point where you try to think, real, that you realistically think that, okay, we're going to be able to generate even 10 or 20% of our power by these alternate sources, you're, it's just not going to work. Jeff, great subject. I worked 31 years at a coal-fired plant here in Sheboygan. It's closing for good next year, even after a billion-dollar upgrade less than 10 years ago. The worst part is they're not talking about mothballing the place, but rather demolition. So when we have a blackout, there's no getting back to this. Jeff, I've got friends in Louisiana, 26 hours, no power, and 20 um, out wind power down. Ironically, they're huge Biden fans. I feel bad for them, but I would not want to ask them how it's working for them at this point in time. Um, okay, but right, exactly. So this is the this is I guess my big point here. The the bottom line is that you you have to come up with these different alternatives, and you have to take into account days like today. And and again, we've been fortunate in the summers too. Remember all those blackouts that they had in California because uh, again you had the, the you, you had what was happening is you had the fires and so you had to, to shut down the power grid because there was that danger. I mean, do we really want to find ourselves living in a country where you don't know that when you turn on that light switch you're going to be able to to have your lights. You don't know whether you're going to have the power that's going to be able to run your computers. You don't know whether the air conditioning is going to come on in the summer. You don't know whether the furnace is going to come on in the winter. If you're on a, a system that's that's like a septic system or private well or something, you're, you're not going to be able to get water out of the pumps. I mean, is, is that really where we want to be? Ken in uh, Hartford. Ken, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Yeah, I, Hi, my only point is, is that uh, in Arizona, they have a reasonably large amount of solar, and in Wisconsin, we have very little to none. And to me, that is commendable to the intelligence of the people of both states. Arizona, you absolutely need uh, a lot of energy in the summertime when the sun is shining, you know, eight, I mean, 18, 20 hours a day. And in, the, in Wisconsin in the wintertime when we need most of our energy, looking at my energy bill for the last month, we, uh, we need it in the wintertime when the sun is it doesn't shine at night. I mean, I don't care how much of a greenie you are. Sun doesn't shine at night. And we only get sun for eight hours a day. And even like you said, even then it's very questionable right. you know, quality. So. Well, right. Yeah, no, well, th- thanks for the call. You know, and, and it's interesting. I'm getting all these texts from people who in, in Kenosha who, who now they're like, well, okay, I've got one, one texter who said, I've got a solar panel on, on my roof. doesn't work very well when it's under a foot and a half of, of snow. Yeah, that's that's the thing. And, again, I understand that the solar energy is a niche. It, it's a compliment. I get it if you're living in Phoenix in the summer. Yeah, you can use that as something that helps you run your air conditioning. But it's not going to generate enough to run the air conditioning when it's 105 degrees every day. Wouldn't that be kind of a nice trade-off right now? And it's certainly not going to be practical in a place like Wisconsin. It's not going to be practical. You know, and Wind farms aren't practical nowadays. They generate a little tiny bit of energy, and, and that's all, all well and good. But at the end of the day, understand where we need to be. And, yes, it would be nice to have somebody ask President 
President Biden, hey, are you concerned a little bit about the fact that as we you try to force us away from fossil fuels and things of the like and force us into these new technologies, are you concerned a little bit that, you know, as a practical matter, they're not going to work? And it'd be nice to have somebody ask that question. You know what the answer is going to be. The answer is going to be, oh, you hate the planet. No, it's not a question of hating the planet. It's a question of loving people. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. One final text on what we were talking about before. Jeff, a number of the power utilities in the region are customers of mine and all are struggling with the new green requirements. Last year during the extreme cold period, all the windmills shut down and they had to rely 100% on power from the coal fire plant. Northern Minnesota was one generator trip away from going dark on the coldest days of the year. And, and yes, and you have the powers that be that are trying to push us more and more to that direction. We're shutting down the coal plants and like when the texters say, we're going to demolish them. So even if it turns out that we need need them they're not going to be around anymore to generate stuff just saying be careful about what you wish for here and what's going on today in large parts of the country demonstrate the fact that we we need to rely on natural gas we need to rely on coal we might need to look at relying on nuclear because at this point in time the technologies for the solar energy the technologies for the wind turbines it's it's not enough somebody texted me well well, I've got a neighbor that's got solar panels up in Sheboygan, and, and a- occasionally they're able to generate enough electricity that they even sell it back. Well, okay, that, that might be fine for a two-week period in July, but I guarantee you those solar panels aren't heating the house when it's 20 degrees below zero, and they're not going to be enough to heat the whole neighborhood. That's just the reality. All right, let us move on. I am on record as I, I, am, I am a fan of Senator Ron Johnson. I am also, though, on record as saying that, you know, the senator had said that he intended to only run for two terms. I have said this before. I think I, I hope he honors that pledge and announces that he's going to be the citizen legislator and he's going to, you know, step down. And I hope he does it sooner rather than later. So he kind of clears the way for some other Wisconsin Republicans to to emerge as opposed to keeping things on on hold while people wait to decide if he's going to run. In other words, I, I think Senator Johnson I think he should probably honor his pledge to quit after two terms, and I think he should announce that sooner rather than later. I think that would be good for other Republicans who might want to run to replace him. I also think it's part of the reality. Senator Johnson has been one of the most ardent supporters of President Trump over the course of certainly, I think, the last two years. That has made him... Well, a political pariah in the eyes of the national left. He, he's targeted. They're running ad. You've got national lefty groups that are running ads against Ron Johnson. There's one running on TV starting today saying, "Vote for the stimulus." But but Ron Johnson clearly has a political target on his back, and he's done nothing to shy away from controversy with a number of the different statements that that he's made. In some states kind of towing the Trump line and saying, look, I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm with the president 100%. In some states, that doesn't hurt you politically. In Wisconsin, it's much more problematic because we are a 50-50 sort of state. And I do believe 
that some of the fact that the that Senator Johnson has chosen to close so closely align himself with former President Trump, I, I think that's going to help him in some respects, and I think it's going to hurt him in others. All that being said, yesterday, Senator Johnson does a series of radio interviews, and what's getting all the attention, and the minute he says this, the newspapers are out there, then they kick it over to PolitiFact. It's amazing how fast the left spin machine can work when it wants to. But nevertheless... That doesn't mean that Senator Johnson was correct in saying what he said. So he goes on a series of radio interviews that he's doing yesterday, and he starts talking about what happened at the Capitol. On a Milwaukee radio station up the dial, he says, this didn't, and he's talking about January 6th, this didn't seem like an armed insurrection to me. I mean armed. When you hear armed, don't you think of firearms? Here's the questions I would like to ask. How many firearms were confiscated? How many shots were fired? I'm only aware of one, and I'll defend that law enforcement officer for taking the shot. It was a tragedy, okay, but I think there was only one. And he goes on another radio station, and he says, To call what happened on January 6th an armed insurrection, it was a pitiful armed insurrection. Anybody, it, was the most, it was the most pitiful armed insurrection anybody could ever possibly imagine. The one guy in the Senate chambers there, he had plastic wrist ties. What was he expecting to do? Literally, go up to Mike Pence and capture him? It's absurd. All right, our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I don't understand why Senator Johnson would go down this route. I, I just, what happened on January 6th was indefensible from, from any perspective. Conservative, liberal, Republican, Democrat, in, independent. It was just completely and totally indefensible. And I, I guess I don't understand why why you even get into this this debate you know was it an armed insurrection or or not well well who cares a, a handful of people were armed no it, it's not like you had you know 3000 people armed with firearms that stormed the Capitol. You had a handful of people that had guns. You had other people that had weapons. You had a couple people that were apparently trying to plant bombs. But it clearly was a riot. It was clearly, an, if you want to use the term insurrection, I think that's fair. I do not, for the life of me, understand what somebody, why you would even go down this route. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And this comes from some perspective of somebody who is a supporter of Ron Johnson, who thinks over the past 10 years he's voted right on, on most of the different issues that were out there. I think, by and large, he did a pretty good job of trying to navigate the, the loyalty to President Trump when he was the President of the United States with um, his obligations to be voting to do things that were positive for Wisconsin. But for the life of me, I, I don't understand saying this didn't seem like an armed insurrection to me because what difference does it make whether there were five guns or whether there were 50 guns? Bottom line is it, it clearly was an insurrection. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Open question, what do, you, what do you make of Senator Johnson's remarks that, January 6th didn't seem like an armed insurrection. Candidly, I don't know what he was thinking. All right, 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
855-616-1620. Look, there's an old saying that just because you're paranoid doesn't mean people are out to get, aren't out to get you. And, and there, there's no question that the mainstream media and the left in this country and in the state are out to get Ron Johnson. He is viewed perhaps as the most vulnerable Republican senator up for re-election in, in 2022. All right. But at the same time, so understanding that people are out to get him, I don't understand why you provide ammunition to the people that are out to get you. And, and you saw it yesterday. He does a couple radio interviews where he says it didn't seem like an armed insurrection to me. And then immediately you've got the stories. And then within an hour, the PolitiFact feed people say, oh, this is a lie. It was an armed insurrection. It, it's, and, and then it takes on a life of its own. So, yes, they're out to get you at the same time. Why give them the ammunition? And I don't, for the life of me, understand why you go down this route. What what it where it it gets you trying to split hairs over? Well, was this insurrection armed? Was it a riot or whatever? It was something that was absolutely terrible. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's talk to Adam in Milwaukee. Adam, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi. Um, I. I- I think I get what Ron Johnson was trying to do, being charitable, that he was trying to draw the distinction between what happened there and a bunch of, like, uh, guerrilla militants all armed with AK-47s, you know, that are uh, trying to overthrow. But I I agree with you. You know what the media is going to do with it. It's ill-advised to even uh, bring that up, even if you're trying to draw that distinction. Just let the thing lie and, and let it go to bed. Yeah, well, right, exactly, because you're, you're, you're splitting hairs, and, and, and to your point, who cares whether there were five guys with guns and bombs or a hundred guys with guns and bombs? This was this was something that was unacceptable, clearly. And who cares whether somebody's armed with a handgun or a long rifle or they're armed with I don't know a stun gun or whatever? It's just it sounds like it makes it sound like you're minimizing what happened on January sixth, and I don't think anybody should be minimizing what happened on January sixth. Right. So thanks for calling, Adam. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Gary and Racine. Gary, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. Um, I'm sure if you talk to Officer Sicknick's family, um, he might disagree with the senator a little bit about it being an armed insurrection since they won't mm-hmm. have the officer ever come home again. Um, and also, doesn't it seem to you, you know, like, the senator's first term, he was kind of quiet, didn't, didn't say much. It seems like he has bought into the hydroxychloroquine stuff that he talked mm-hmm. about. He supported the Ukrainian nonsense that was going on. He's used his Homeland, Secu- uh, Homeland Security chairmanship uh, of that committee to hold hearings on the Russian hoax and all the other. It just seems like he has gotten himself surrounded by i mean for lack of a better term the crazy people and he's buying it mm-hmm. well thanks to call you know it, it the, the, the appeal that that senator johnson always had to me when i, when I first met him is the the, the the businessman turned politician. I mean, I remember the ads he ran when he first ran for office. Remember, he was he was at the chalkboard and he was doing the math on all these different things. And I, I thought it was very very compelling. And it was that kind of Mr. Smith goes to Washington sort of thing, which I found personally appealing. I think a lot of voters did as well. 
and it carried him the first time he, he won in an upset victory over Russ Feingold, and it carried him four years ago when he won again. And that's always been one of the strengths. Now, I also understand, when, I, when, I've, when I've talked to the senator, and we, we've done interviews, I, I know that there were times that, for example, where where Donald Trump was on economic policy was not where Ron Johnson was, and he was trying to navigate those, those sort of things. And I, I appreciate your Republican senator. This is the, you know, the, and you've got the Republican president and all. But I do think over the course of the last couple years, the, the president has decided, the, the senator has decided to align himself more and more with some of the kind of fringe elements. Now, I don't know that I think that necessarily makes him a fringe guy, but at the same time, I, I, I look at things like yesterday, and I'm sitting there wondering, why why do you go down this route? What's, who cares whether or not it's an armed insurrection or not? Who cares whether, you, whether it's a riot or, or not? Who cares about what the word choice you use is? But by saying, it, it, I don't think it was an armed insurrection, all you do is you downplay something that, that everybody, I think, thinks is horrible. It, the, the flip side would be people, and, and you, you see this all the time, and we've seen this all the time over the last seven or eight months, where you have people who try to downplay a lot of the, the social justice protests that got out of control and turned into riots and again it's i mean it would be like saying you know trying to to split the difference and argue well you know when you had all these buildings that were burned in kenosha i object to the term riot how dare you call it riot because a riot normal whatever you know but but no it, it was a riot in kenosha and it was a riot and it was an insurrection and who cares whether it for, meets the definition of, of whatever somebody might think is armed, why go down that route? Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff, I'd just like to echo what you just said, and also the first caller. Um, I, you know, I'm a fan of Senator Johnson's as well, and um, there really was no you know, good reason to do it, either politically or any other reason. Um, he may have been trying to play to his base a little bit, uh, but uh, it wasn't a smart move, I don't think. Yeah, no, thanks. I mean, it, it wasn't. I remember looking at these stories, and I, and, and it almost seems like the senator doubled down because he says it on one radio show, then he goes on another radio show and, and kind of repeats th- this, this whole thing. And I'm thinking, okay, what what this is doing now is it's it's now going to, again, focus the attention on you. And, and I don't know exactly what he meant. And, and maybe even... Even in some broad, sort of very, very hyper-technical way, maybe there weren't that many guns. I, I don't know. And so maybe you – but but why why go down this route at all? Why find yourself in a position about arguing about, you know, what an armed insurrection is? The, you know, the videos of, of the kooks that stormed the Capitol, it did pose a clear and present danger to all sorts of people. And who knows what some of those people were going to do? I mean, you know, to, to mock or minimize, okay, there's a guy with plastic ties, you know, trying to trying to find some lawmaker or the vice president to take him into custody. Well, that, that's a big deal. You know, that, that's a big deal. And whether they would be able to accomplish or not, it, it really doesn't matter. I just don't think we gain anything by minimizing that. And, and that's why by even going down this route, you make yourself, you leave yourself open to criticism. And just because people are out there trying to get you doesn't mean you need to give them ammunition. Troy in Door County. Troy, you're in WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Troy. How are you doing? I'm um, good. What do you think? I, you know, good. I echo exactly what you said, throwing ammunition on it. I wake up every day, and I look in the paper, and Ron Johnson is 
some controversial thing is going on with that guy, and I do not understand it. Um, there seems to be a quiet time right now with a lot of politicians just trying to get things somewhat back to normal if we ever have any normalcy. But he just he just is, is not not working. Uh, I don't think he's representing Wisconsin very well because every like I said, it doesn't. It doesn't just have to be the Journal Sentinel or whatever. He's on he's on headlines on CNN today again, and I just don't mm-hmm. understand it because if if you're somebody in let's say Iowa or Minnesota and you you read that on on CNN, you're like, what is this guy saying? It makes no sense. But then I just see that they just read an ad on TV too. Um, I don't know if you saw that yet. They're they're looking. Oh no, for they're, him they're, to... there's, there's, there's a there's a big lefty group that's running. It's spending. I think it's like a million bucks um, in an advertising yep, campaign yep. trying to get him to vote in front of the Biden's for the Biden stimulus. So, but it, this yep. this is laying the groundwork for you know the election two years from now. I mean that that's what. And but he's going to be sure. getting this stuff for the next two years. Do you think he should run again? Right. I, I I do not. Uh, but I think uh, he was one of the biggest. Uh, people that were affected by Trump losing the election because I think you know he he thought he was in. If you remember that last rally that Trump had down in Racine or Milwaukee or somewhere down there, I mean he he mentioned Ron Johnson like right. uh, I'm talking to you, you know. And I think there was yeah. something maybe hoping that something bigger was going to come and and he just he won't let it go. And I know it's I don't really care, you know, who, if he, who won or whatever, but. Man, he just—I don't think he's representing us well, Jeff, and that's 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 too bad. So, no, thank, thanks for the call. I appreciate. it. Well, I mean, it's clearly he, he's made himself a, a target of all this stuff, and he and and you know, and, he, and he's picking a lot of fights, and he's picking a lot of enemies. But I just, and that, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with picking fights, and and there's nothing wrong with standing up for your principles. But at the same time, I think you got to think some of this stuff through, and this whole armed insurrection thing. Why you go down this route beyond me. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. When Joe Biden is in town for his, his CNN town hall tonight, there's another couple questions that I'd like to have him asked. And, and one is... How does this possibly end well? What is the end game? And I'm talking about the, this this program that the Biden administration has just announced that they are going to extend their moratorium on home foreclosures for another three months. Now, now follow me on this one. one once the pandemic hits last March, you know, going on a year, there was the CARES Act that got passed. And what that CARES Act does is it allows people to postpone their mortgage payments on federally backed mortgages for as long as 12 months. And a lot of the mortgages out there are, are federally backed. There's there's like 11 million. So you, you didn't have to make your mortgage payments and you couldn't be foreclosed on during the, the pandemic. And it didn't matter whether or not you could pay your mortgages or not. It didn't matter whether you qualify, you know, whether you'd been adversely affected by COVID. It just meant that, you know, you, you didn't have to make your mortgage payments. And so some people did, but a lot of people didn't. Now, here's the thing. The mortgage payments didn't go away. And they continue to have interest, and you continue to owe that money. So let's say, for the sake of argument, that starting last March, you stopped making, let's say your mortgage was 
thousand bucks a month for the sake of argument. So you, you stopped making th- those payments. Well, that that thousand dollars a month didn't go away, and the interest didn't go away. So it kept adding up and adding up and adding up. So the the CARES Act and the mortgage moratorium has been extended and extended and extended. And, and yesterday, um, the Biden administration extended the moratorium on foreclosures for another three months. So the way this works is it's now scheduled to run through June 30th of 2021. It started in March of 2020. So what this will mean is for people who've been participating in this program, in many cases, haven't been making mortgage payments and won't make mortgage payments for, what, 15 months or so. Um, They estimate that um, about 75% of U.S. mortgages are guaranteed or insured by the U.S. government. They estimate that about 10 million homeowners are behind on their mortgage payments. And they estimate that, well, what a, nearly about 3 million people are in, in this forbearance program, 3 million different households. So I understand on the one hand, it's a nice thing. Okay, we, 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 we don't want to make people have to come up with these mortgage payments, etc., etc., and we don't want them foreclosed on. The flip side, though, is what is the end game? How, how do you get out of this? Because at some point in time, the forbearance program ends, and you have people who, let's say, haven't made a mortgage payment in six months or nine months or a year or, or 15 months in the extreme. And using my example of $1,000 a month, okay, you, you owe $6,000, you owe 9000 you owe 12000 you owe $15,000 plus interest, and you, you have the ongoing payments you're going to make. If you haven't been able to make your payments over the course of the last year or the last year and a half, how are you suddenly going to, short of winning the lottery, how are you going to make your payments moving forward? It seems to me that all we're doing here is creating what's going to be a huge foreclosure crisis. We just keep kicking it down the road. But you can only kick it down the road so far unless, unless we're going to be talking about a massive bailout of homeowners, just like we're talking about right now a, a massive bailout of people who own student loans. What about those people who haven't made mortgage payments for six months or nine months or 12 months or, or a year or a year and a half? You know they're not going to be able to make those payments, you know, in June or July or August. So what, what do we do? Do the taxpayers bail them out? And if not, are we really doing people any favors by, again, just allowing them to kick this problem down the road and down the road and make it worse and make it worse and make it worse? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, there needs to be a dose of of reality here because all we're doing right now is telling the the banks you can't can't collect, you, you can't foreclose, you can't get this money. Well, my concern is that people are never going to be able to to get this money. They'll never collect it. And so whether it's the foreclosures that start in March 
or whether it's the foreclosures that start in June, that this is what's going to happen. And you're going to have just an incredible number of people who are going to be out of their houses over the course of the next couple months, which raises the question, have we really done anybody any favors? Or alternatively, is the federal government going to bail out these millions of people who find themselves in holes that they can't dig themselves out of? My answer would be, I don't think the federal government can do it, but at the same time, my guess is this is also what the federal government and what a lot of our politicians are going to say we have to do. We can't let millions of people lose their houses. We can't have these houses, this foreclosure stuff go on. We have to bail them out. Can we do that? My answer would be no. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. James in Pewaukee. James, hello. James. Um, Hi, James. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. Companies get discussed on the radio and the media. You really miss large parts of of items here. Um, imperatively, when you're talking about a forbearance, and that's nothing new to the, the mortgage industry or any other lending industry which is exactly what's going on here. It's just being mandated by the government. If this doesn't, if, if for instance, you, you, you get forbeared on eight $1,500 mortgages, that doesn't mean when it expires, you owe $12,000. It's a forbearance. What 99% of these lenders are going to do is simply extend their mortgage, and they'll have to be tacked on or they can modify their mortgage payment. It doesn't mean that you're going to pay them or, or supposedly kick the can down the road for ten dollars or $12,000. No, but what, hap- what happens if they? But what? what, what no, I understand. I get that. But what? What happens if they can't make the payment? What happens if they can't make the payments? So they haven't been able to make the payments for the last twelve months or fifteen months. Yeah, you're right. You can always restructure the loan, and you can add. If you haven't paid for a year, you can add an extra year on at the back end. Sure, you, you can always do that if they want to. Well, well, no, but what but if they can't make the payments? That's a massive distinction. Well, if they can't make the payments for perpetuity, that's a different issue. But the idea is, is once people are, begin, are reemployed and they're able to make the payments, you do so. And it doesn't necessarily, and almost certainly for next to no one, will encumber a, hard, a more difficult payment. They'll be reemployed and they'll be able to make that mortgage payment. The mortgage payment is going to increase. So they'll have a huge lump sum to pay. That's a massive distinction. But they're still going to have, right. I'm sorry, your, James, your cell phone is kind of breaking up. I understand what you're saying. You're saying that all you have to do is they could just add it on to the back and that there's, there's, and you forget about the accumulated interest and that's what they're going to end up doing. Well, I, I don't know that that's necessarily going to be the case because you have all these mortgage lenders who, who haven't been paid in the first place. But even if they, even if they do that, at some point in time, people are going to have to start making the payments. Now, it is a little bit different than, say, like the utility companies, the people who have accumulated, when it comes to foreclosures for homes, it is a little bit different than the utilities, for example, where we've had the forbearance, we had the, you know, you keep delaying it, delaying it, delaying it. At some time, the utility moratorium is going to end, and then you're going to owe all the back stuff, and it's going to be due at once unless you can work out the, the payment plan that's there. But I guess my question is, if you're not going to be able to work out the pay, if you don't have the money to make the payments in the first place, how are you going to be able to work the payment plan? We have the for the we have the moratorium on on the rent, and it's the same sort of thing. So you have people that, in my example, let's say you owe a thousand dollars in in rent 
every month. That's your rent. You're now $12,000 in the hole. Yeah, the landlord's going to try to work out some sort of a payment plan for you because they, they want to get their money. But it's, it's in all likelihood, it's going to add involve adding something on to the current payments. Now, maybe if you can work with your lender and you can say, look, I don't want to lose my house, so I tell you what, just tack this on at the end of the loan, forget about the interest and all those things, maybe the lenders are going to be able to do that. But the problem in the reality, and if you don't think that there's going to be a huge crisis coming up in three or six months when these programs finally end and you have people who aren't able to work out a payment structure or don't have the money to start making the payments. If you don't think that there's going to be a massive foreclosure problem going on, well, I guess we'll, we'll know in three to six months. But I, I think that this is, this is, this is not light at the end of the tunnel. This is the train coming the other way. And the truth of the matter is, you know, it's everybody else that's ending up paying for this, whether it's in higher mortgage costs or whatever. Look, I'm not encouraging, I don't think it's positive for people to lose their homes. I don't think it's positive for people to be evicted from their homes. I don't think it's positive for people to have their, their rent shut off. But you've got to realize at some point in time, you've got to end up paying the piper. And, and yes, Maybe the government can come in and can order the the banks. You can't foreclose. And maybe the banks will be able to figure out a way to work that out so people don't lose their homes. But my guess, a lot of these people that are hopelessly in arrears, they're still going to be hopelessly in arrears three months from now, six months from now. And, again, I hope I'm wrong. hope that people are going to find the money to be able to make these payments and make these deals, and you don't suddenly see millions of people that end up getting foreclosed on. But I, I think... You're just kicking the can down the road, and it's going to end up with, with bad consequences somewhere down the line. Maybe maybe we'll magically figure out a way out of this. I just think we're delaying what's going to be a big problem. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right, some developments. If you want to understand, again, the dysfunctional nature of the city of Milwaukee, here you have it. It's been the the Fire and Police Commission, which if you look up the term dumpster fire in the dictionary, you'll see a picture of the members of the Fire and Police Commission. This is the same Fire and Police Commission that decided that they were going to illegally fire the former police chief, Alfonso Morales, arguably the best chief that the city's had in 30 years, fire him, but violate his due process rights in in doing so. I mean, how do you end up doing that? And by doing that, you've not only gotten rid of, again, a great police chief, but you've exposed the city to liability. It's going to be hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's just a simple reality of what's going to be on. Moreover, you've got a fire and police commission that is hopelessly deadlocked on whether on, on who the next police chief is going to be. And now there's even legal questions, given that you have a, a court ruling saying that the that Chief Morales should be re- reinstated in his job. How do you go ahead and hire a, another police chief? So you've got that whole mess that's going on. In addition to that, you have the former chairman of the Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission who was under an ethics investigation for you know things that he did in connection with a client that he was arguably representing. Now, he denies any ethics violations. I don't take a position on that one way or the other. But what, what ended up happening is because of, of that pending investigation, the former chairperson had to step down 
as the chairperson, but didn't want to resign from the Fire and Police Commission. All, all well and good. So there's this ethics investigation that gets launched into, you know, whether or not his conduct was appropriate. And again, I take no position on the underlying actions. So what happens is they want to go out and they want to issue subpoenas. They want to get records. And it turns out that the former chairman of the Fire and Police Commission is, at least if you believe the public stories, out there trying to duck the subpoenas, which is, is something that just does not happen in, in the law. You know, if you've you, if you got an attorney and, you know, you're represented by an attorney, what typically happens is you call up the lawyer and you say, hey, I've got some subpoenas. Will you accept service? And apparently that's not what happened here. So you've got a member of, at least at the time, of the Fire and Police Commission, the former chairman, who, if you believe the stories, is ducking subpoenas from the, the Ethics Commission that's investigating his behavior. Well, yesterday, uh, Stephen DeVogas, who had been on the Fire and Police Commission, this guy that was subject to all this, he submitted his letter of resignation saying, okay, it's it's time to move on. The, the mayor had said he thought he should leave. This now creates another vacancy on the Fire and Police Commission. I don't know if it ends the ethics investigation or not. I don't know if this is, off the top of my head, if this is kind of like an impeachment thing. You know, once somebody leaves office, do you impeach them? If somebody's under an investigation for an ethics violation and they resign their position, and they're no longer you know, on the board, you continue the ethics investigation. I, I don't know. But it's another one of these examples, again, of how completely and totally dysfunctional the city of Milwaukee is. And I don't know what the, I don't know what the answer is, because it's been this way for years. It seems like it's getting worse. But the real people who are the losers here are the taxpayers in the city of Milwaukee who keep having to pay for all these various missteps. And mark my words, um, you know, when they end up having to write a check to former police chief Morales, it's going to be a big check. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Let's try, to, try that again. Nothing worse than a dry voice in, in February when you're trying to do a radio show. Every 15 minutes, a baby is born with a congenital heart defect. All this month, please join our very own Greg Matzik as he teams up with the Children's Heart Foundation to help advance the diagnosis, the treatment, and the prevention of congenital heart defects. To find out how you can help, go to WTMJ.com or text the word CARES to the Acunet Mortgage Talk text line at 855-616-1620. WTMJ CARES, powered by Watry Industries and Premier Aluminum and sponsored by Professional Construction, Inc. All right. We the COVID numbers are getting better, and that is a very good thing. But still, we're not anywhere near returning to normal. Tonight, the the Bucks are going to have what 250 people in. First time you've had people in Fiserv watching a game. The plan is to increase it to like I think 1,800 by by Sunday. They've got four games coming up, and so the idea is to start gradually getting back to normal, and, and that's all great for many people. The new normal has been, if it's possible to work at home, you have been working at home. There are a lot of major Wisconsin companies and Milwaukee companies who, who shut down about a year ago and really haven't had people back into the office yet. And the idea is a lot of these companies might not have people back into the office until September, October, November, maybe next year. And, of course, it's not just the impact that has on the people that are working at home. It's the impact it has on all the businesses that are, say, in a downtown urban area. Take Milwaukee, for instance. If, if, you're, if you are 
a restaurateur who makes his or her living doing lunches for you know the the people that are working in the office buildings downtown well you're just absolutely killed if there's nobody working in the office buildings if you are somebody that runs like gift shops or some of these stores that depends on people being able to shop at lunch hour and there's nobody around for lunch hour you're, you're in again you're in a lot of trouble so the question becomes when do people start going back to work now i understand and for a lot of people, you, you, your, your work hasn't changed over the last year. Maybe if you work in, in retail or you're the cashier at the grocery store or whatever, you, you've, been, you've been working. You've been going into where you work. But for a lot of people, they've been working at home. And they've been working at home for a long time. And what they found is that they're able to be productive doing that. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As we actually come up on pretty much the the one-year anniversary of the the shutdowns due to the pandemic. My question is, are we at a point now where people should feel safe going back to work? Or is this a situation where, no, we need to keep the offices closed. We need to continue to allow people to work remotely remotely for the next three months or six months or until we get that that herd immunity how much longer should this go on and if you're one of those people who have been working remotely for the last year are you in a hurry to go back to work can you not wait to get back to work and what's the office going to look like when you do get back to work 855-616-1620 that's the accident mortgage talk and text line i mean the business i work in we have largely, with the exception of, of a handful of people, including like the on-air people, we, we've largely, our salespeople, our marketing people, they've been working remotely for essentially the last year with a couple of exceptions that are there. I don't know how much longer that's going to continue. I have friends who work for some of the larger companies in Milwaukee including law firms and other businesses like NML, and, and they've, been, they've been working at home for the last year. I mean, are we looking at another another six months, another nine months? Are we looking at another year of remote work? When is it going to end, and does it matter? 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. I actually think that this is kind of going to be the new normal. My guess is there are some people in some industries who have been working remotely for the last year. My guess is there's going to be some people that are going to continue they're going to end up continuing to work remotely, maybe forever. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think one of the effects of the pandemic and what we've done is that as a result of this, I think there's a lot of people who probably aren't ever going to be going back to the office. So if you've been working remotely, are you ready to go back? Um how long do you think you're going to be closed? What's it going to take to get you back? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. I, I, I just think it's a different world. Let's start with Ray, who's calling us from Illinois. Ray, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, I've been working at home for, for almost a year now, and um, I'm ready to go back. Um, I was actually downtown Chicago, met with a colleague a couple of weeks ago because 
what we needed to do, we couldn't do remotely, and um, I felt perfectly safe. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, wore my mask and, and um, you know, felt even taking the train, which has been something I've been a little scared of, uh, I felt perfectly safe doing it. Uh, I think we should start getting people back to work uh, fairly soon. I mean, my company says that there will be some form of remote work going forward, but um, that some people will be able to do it. Um, in fact, I, there's no prohibition of me going into the office except there's nobody there. Um, right. So I think I'm, ju I think I'm just going to start when the weather warms up, just going in like one day a week, just to have some place to go and get out of the house. Do you think that the way your company does business is going to change at all moving forward? I mean, are, are they going to still, if people have been working at home for for a year, are they going to still need all that office space? I don't. I don't think so. Um, and yeah. it's not something that's really been talked about. But I don't think so because I do think they're going. To, I think one of the things we've learned, at least uh, in my the place I work for, has said, we've learned that we can be just about as productive uh, working at home. In fact, um, we have people in other parts of the country who've made the comment, "Well, this is the first time I've ever seen my team, my colleagues' faces, you know, being on teams <laughs> as opposed to." <laughs> sitting right. and talking to people over a conference phone. So um, right. I, I do think it'll change. I do think some people will stay remote, um, maybe by their choice, maybe you know for whatever reasons they have. But um, I don't think we'll need all the office space we have. In fact, the building that we're in, we've already given back some space. So uh, right. I do think and that's because we're going to be smaller. So. Well, you know, it's interesting you talk about downtown Chicago. I, I haven't been down there since it started, but all the stuff I'm reading says, in many respects, it, it's like a ghost town. You know, in some parts it of, is. for example, Michigan Avenue, because there, there's there's all these businesses that really cater to the work crowd, and there's nobody down there, so the, those businesses don't operate. Jeff, I was down there, like I said, about two weeks ago, and um, it, it just felt like it felt like a weekend. There was it felt like like a late night weekend. There was nobody around. It was like right. it, it's great for me. I, I'm blind, and it was great for me because I didn't have to worry about running into pedest other pedestrians <laughs> on the sidewalk right. and stuff. But um, it, it was not it was so great eerie. for businesses. Yeah, thanks no, for calling. I appreciate. Not. it. I mean. No, that I mean that's I mean you get into that dynamic, and, and, and downtown Milwaukee's like that it, it, as well. I mean, yes, some of the offices are starting to to reopen gradually, but it, but it's a very very gradual process. And I, I mean that's who you. It, it's the one thing. How do the companies you know deal with this stuff? It's another thing about what about the businesses that exist to support all the downtown workers. And candidly, I just don't see them coming back for a while. Sarah, if ever, Sarah in Madison. Sarah, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, ironically, Hi, I was talking with some fellow workers about this similar thing this morning. I consider myself lucky. I work in the building inspection department, so I have to go into work every day. Um, my husband, we view not so lucky. He's been working at home now since this started, and he found out he got an email to schedule an appointment, go into the office, pick up all your personal items. We're selling the building. You're now going to be working at home for the rest of your career with us. They, I, I really? think it's going to change. Yes. <laughs> yep. Wow. They've decided why why own a building when you can have all your employees working from home. Um, saves them a lot of money. And like, like you had said, I think we were discussing this at work, that the commercial front is going to change because other businesses are going to discover you don't have to have employees there. And when commercial spices go down, you're then going to have, you know, like the sub places and the restaurant places and all that. I think they're going to 
it's, it's going to be different right. for everybody out there going forward. No, and even if, if businesses don't completely and totally close down, like you can get rid of the building, I, I can see a, a major pullback. For example, saying we don't need three floors in, in the high-rise downtown office. Maybe, maybe we need one floor, and we'll have you know conference rooms, and, and maybe we'll bring your husband or guys like your husband. Maybe we'll bring him in once every two weeks for meetings or stuff like that. But we, we don't need any, and maybe you don't even need to do that with all the Zoom stuff and things that are out there. But, yeah, I, I think this is I think what you're seeing is a permanent shift, and it's not like somebody's just going to flip a switch and boom, all of a sudden everybody's going to be pouring back into downtown areas. I, I think we've made some permanent changes as a result of this, at least in some businesses. Yep, yep. It's, it's going to yeah. be a different world out there. It, it is. No, th- thanks for the call. And I think th- this is stuff that people, uh, again, don't don't anticipate. I, for one, Having had the opportunity, I mean, I've, I've done some work at home, and I can do my show from home. Or alternatively, I, I can go into the studio. I, I still like the idea of going into the studio. I like interacting with my teammates and things like that. But at, at the same time, the fact that you you can you find out you can do stuff remotely does add an, an extra layer and, and gives people options. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Good afternoon, Jeff. I, my belief is that I think people should be getting back into the offices and stuff like that because people are losing their social skills uh, at home there. It's going to be a whole different society if no one's going out and socializing and checking people's interactions and stuff like that. It's, it's something I really don't want to look forward to. I think we have to get people back to work in the office and back, back getting back to more normal, I guess, is my thought. Yeah. No, well, thanks for the call, Mike. I, I, I mean, I, I understand that, but I think, I mean, I think what's happening is a lot of businesses, not, not only the, the concern about the health of their employees, but are also starting to look at, at the bottom line. And it, let, let's, and plus from an employee's perspective for the cost. I mean, let's say you, you work in a downtown urban area. Let's say parking isn't included. So, you know, you, you, you drive 15 minutes or 15 miles to get to work. You pay to park there. There's all those costs that are associated with things from the employee perspective. From the employer perspective, I think a lot of companies are saying that you can save money. And I, again, I'm not predicting the complete end of downtown businesses, but I think this this is a trend that's the the idea of people working at home. I think that idea is here to stay. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We will, of course, keep you updated on the conditions of the road. Sounds like it's a mess in certain areas, and even though the weather is finally starting to clear, and at least in some parts of the listening area, the, the snow has stopped, sounds like there's still an ongoing mess out there. Just a couple of the texts that we have on this, and again, I just think it's it's inevitable that... There, there's not going to be a normal. The, the new normal, it's just like after 9-11, how we started traveling on, on airplanes and things of the like, it, it changed, and it just changed forever. I think that one of the effects of the pandemic is going to be exactly this. You know, one of the other things that happened, we talked a little bit about yesterday. I My prediction is that even after all the mask requirements, for example, go away, my guess is that one out of four, maybe one out of five people will make it a habit of just routinely wearing masks moving forward. I, and I think that's going to be one of the new normals as well. Um, Jeff, I've worked four to five days from home pre-pandemic as a medical coder 
Now I'm full-time at home. It's really not much of a difference. I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old, so I love watching them grow up. But candidly, I need to escape daily to the store or the gas station just to keep my sanity. Jeff, I've been working at home for a year next month. I don't want to go back. They're supposedly working on a plan to bring us back. We're a big group working for utility. I don't mind working from home um, when we're getting snow every day. Um, yes. Jeff, interesting thoughts. Since the companies will save money on rental mortgage costs, will the savings trickle down to the employees? Huh. Don't know. Jeff, I never want to go back to the office. No two hours spent driving and the weather. Never, ever Please, Jeff, keep me as home as long as possible. My dogs love it. Jeff, I'd be surprised if half of the office buildings are filled with employees. Why lease space when you can have people work from home? Um, yeah, I think that's it. Jeff, until I'm vaccinated, I generally want to stay remote, with the exception of an occasional office visit, maybe once per month. When I'm vaccinated, I want to do a combination. Yeah, I think that that's... I think that that's probably going to be maybe the most likely fallback position where you offer people a combination. You, you don't need to come in. You don't need to be here every day. Maybe you need two days in, three days off, or you know maybe it's even once every couple um, weeks. Jeff, everybody should be back to work and life should be returned to normal. Enough with this foolishness already. Well, I guess the question, though, is what what is that new normal going to be? And as companies figure out they, they can save money by, by not having everybody have to drive downtown, in my example. And a lot of employees say, you know, I, I like not having to drive downtown, and as long as I can do my job, why shouldn't I be able to do that? Um, Jeff, we should keep doing what we've been doing. Why would we stop now before people get their vaccinations? Um, well, there is that element. Um, Jeff, is working from home going to become the standard normal for some companies? Yeah, I think that that's exactly the case of what's going to be going on here. Bottom line is there's going to be changes. And I know we all talk about wanting to get back to normal and whatever our new normal is going to be and stuff like that. I don't know that we any of us know what normal is. And I think that there's, again, a lot of industries, particularly those that exist, to support the downtown offices. Their, their business is going to be changed, just like I think you know movie theaters and large venues that depend on putting twenty thousand people in on a regular basis. I, I think that whole dynamic is going to be changed, and that's one of the trends that we're going to have to find. And like I said before, just like nine eleven affected us, I, I think this pandemic is going to affect us moving forward. Okay, a lot of stuff coming up in the two o'clock hour of the program. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. All right. This happens to me every winter, and it happened th this morning. There, and look, I, I grew up here. I, I've lived here most of my life. I admit that as I get older, that the winters start to wear on me. But, but there is a point in every winter where I just have had enough. And, and today, today was the day. So I am figuratively standing here, and I am waving the white flag. It, it's, it's, it, I've had enough. 
I, I've, I've just had enough of this. Now, I understand that there's nothing you can do. We, we live here, and you know we need to embrace winter, and you need to deal with it, and I get all that. I, I understand it's a decision we make because there's a lot of wonderful things that go on, and there's a lot of wonderful reasons to live in Wisconsin, but that doesn't mean you can't complain, and it doesn't mean that you can't reach a point where you say kind of enough is enough. And, and I admit that, I mean, the, the last... Two weeks, especially with the, like the bitter cold and trying to take my dog out, you know, and trying to find a spot for her where she can, you know, do her business and being worried about whether she's going to get frostbite and being worried about whether I'm going to get frostbite and all these different types of things. And then you get the snow day after day after day and you forget what that big orange thing is up in the sky that, that, that thing we call a sun. And it, at some point in time, every winter, it just, it sort of wears on me. And I think, you know, today when I was just looking at what was going on on the roadways and looking at, again, oh, my gosh, you know, the, the driveway needs to be shoveled out or plowed out again, and it seems like it's never going to end. And even though it's getting a little bit warmer, the forecast is we're going to get more snow later on this week and then maybe more snow over the weekend and then maybe more snow at the early part of next week. I, I admit I just kind of reached that point where I, I'm waving up the flag. And a part of it for me is also the fact that I, I really haven't gotten away that much. I, I was I was just looking at my calendar, and I spent over the Martin Luther King holiday, I spent three days in Florida. And, and it just, oh, that, that was great, even though people down there were apologizing because it was like 60 degrees. It's like, oh, this, this is sort of great. But I, I admit part of it is that I haven't been able to get away. Now, next week I'm taking, again, a really short vacation, like Wednesday through Friday and stuff. But I think when it comes to winter, and we do, those of us who, who live here, I, I do think we, you know, we have a right to complain. There, there's different things that, that set us off. For some people, maybe it's the, the cold. For some people, maybe it's that you, again, you never see the sun. For some people, it's the, the struggle to drive because you never know what the road conditions are going to be like. There's all sorts of factors. For me, what I hate most about winter is that it just lasts so darn long. Now, I understand we had a mild beginning of this winter, but it, it just, you're inside November, you're inside December, you're inside in January, inside in February, and, you know, looking at the, at the mounds of snow, and I understand spring's going to come sometimes, but it, as somebody, for example, who's a golfer, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, is it going to be another 90 days? But are, are we going to be looking at May or June before you're really going to be able to get out? It, it's the duration of the, the winter, in my case, that I think makes it makes it the worst. But I thought, given, again, the, the communal nature of this and given the fact that we're all going through it and given the fact that we really can't do anything about the weather, still doesn't mean you don't have a right to complain. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In, in the spirit of misery loves company and we're all in the same boat, what is it about winter that you like the least? Now, I understand there's people who just love winter. Bring it on. We love it. Can't get enough of this. Want to go skiing. Want to go snowmobiling. Want to love it. Want to go ice skating. Okay, I, I respect that. I know there's some of you out there, but the reality is you're not in the majority. Most of us, most of us can't stand it. And for me, 
It's it's the length of it. It's the fact that it just seems to go on and on and on. I can take a little bit of snow. I can take a little bit of cold. I can take a little bit about bad roads. I can take a little of not seeing the, the sun. I can take a little about being cooped up inside. But it's just the fact that it lasts so long. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Your chance to voice your complaints what do you dislike? What aspect of winters around here do you dislike the most? 855-616-1620. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, we really touched a nerve with this. I, it, it, I, as I said at the start of the segment, Today is the day. It happens every winter where I just stand up and I wave the white flag of surrender. I, I've had enough, you know, and, and it's just for a variety of things. To me, the thing I hate most about winter is the length. It, it's just the fact that it goes on and on and on, and you're just cooped up. I like to do stuff outside, and I, I'm sorry. I, I, I understand you can go skiing or you can go snowmobiling or you can go ice skating, but, but for me, that's not the same as playing golf or, or walking or, you know, going outside. 855-616-1620. What's the thing? that you hate most about winter. Uh, Katie in Burlington. Katie, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, the thing I hate worst about winter is the inevitable people who drive for a living that don't anticipate it's going to snow. Um, <laughs> my husband is a boss. He gets phone calls like 2 or 3 in the morning going, uh, yeah, it's snowing out and I'm not sure if I can work. Well, my husband needs to drive in it. He needs to clear out his driveway. He needs to keep proper maintenance on his vehicle, and it's just ridiculous. He knows it's going to snow. We both mostly know the night before. I, I just I don't understand if you live in Wisconsin, and especially if you drive for a living, not being prepared for Wisconsin weather. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Well, and, and that it, it, you know what's going to get here, and you know what's going to happen. And it is, I was telling the story the other day, Saturday, I haven't been driving that much because I kind of messed up my foot, but but Saturday we took a drive out to, to Brookfield to um, see some old friends of my wife. And um, it was it was like a white-knuckle drive all the way. And, and I mean, I'm, I'm watching people. I'm driving the speed limit, and Saturday was one of those days where you're getting that, that slick snow like we got today. There's cars in the ditch all over, and I'm watching people on these two-lane roads passing me going 20 miles an hour faster than the speed limit and I'm thinking what where are you in such a hurry to go and don't you realize that you know it, it's winter out here and and maybe speeding is not the best way to deal with it um, Bob in Burlington Bob you're on WTMJ good afternoon yes good afternoon great topic um, I'm a big uh, avid outdoorsman ice fishing Everything like that. I love sitting on a bucket, sometimes catching no fish with the heater going in the shanty. But um, lately, I'm on board with you. It's the wind chill. If it's too cold, single digits, it's just not even fun being out there. It's really a spoiler. I'm tired of yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. No, no thanks, Michael. Well, I, 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 I hear you. And again, for me, it's been okay. So I, I've got this. I've got this little dog, and um, she's a real trooper and stuff. But you know, she's got to go out four or five times a day, and and it's just I feel really bad for her. You know, you take her out and you kind of bundle her up and stuff. But it, it's just it's this it's the it's the brutal cold. And I I mean that that's the the one good thing about it being in the twenties. It, it's not that that kind of brutal cold. But the last two weeks have just been absolutely horrible for pets. Marty in Waukesha. Marty, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I've got one word, and it's mess. 
um, white <laughs> snow, black snow, slushy snow, snow with salt in it, in your car, on your car, in your garage, walk into the house, on your clothes. Yeah. It is terrible. If it if we just lived up in the hinterlands where it was nice white snow, I'd be fine. But this, it's just a mess. It, well, you know, it's funny you should mention that. A, a few weeks ago, I got a new car, and I, I just I, people asked me the color. It, it's it's just I, I couldn't really tell you. I know what the underlying color was, but it's it's coated in all that stuff, and you know you can't run it through the car wash when it's uh, ten degrees below zero. So you just kind of live with it. And I, I know what you mean. I've got a long car coat. I got a parka that I wear. And it's a long park. It, it's it's but you brush it up against the car, and so you've got that salt all over it. And you come into the laundry room, and there's salt all over. The that and there's nothing you can do about it you're right mess is a good word for all that so thanks, thanks for the call no no misery loves company no question about it james in milwaukee james you're on wtmj good afternoon yeah how you doing jeff good i think the one word for me is cloudiness it seems that when you get that cloudiness and it runs we've had that a lot this winter to go with cold and everything else that's what uh, bumps yeah. me out because all of a sudden you get one day of sun and you say, oh, like, you, like you've been saying, uh, it's, it's get, getting uh, days closer to, uh, you know, uh, the uh, spring uh, optimism type of thing weather-wise. But, uh, no, that is cloudiness, kind of dreary yeah. and everything else makes you feel like, like hell, you know. Yeah. No, thanks for culture. Well, it, it wears on you. It's why I mean, I have, I have friends who live in the Pacific Northwest, and and that's the thing. You know, it's 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 dreary and cloudy. The weather's more temperate, but it's dreary and cloudy. Two hundred eighty days out of three hundred sixty. No, no thanks. I need the sun. Here, let me get a couple texts here. Jeff, the thing I hate most is that my skin turns to scales with the lack of moisture in the air. Um. Yep. That's it. Jeff, my nose is frozen. Um, Jeff, um, being a dairy farmer, I hate making sure the cows have water and milking them twice a day. Cows don't care that it's minus 15. Yeah, I have the, and I've said this before on the radio, I, I have the deepest respect for people who are dairy farmers because those, those cows, they, they don't care if it's New Year's Eve. They don't care if you've got a raging fever. They don't care if it's the 4th of July. They don't care if it's your 40th wedding anniversary. All they know is that they need to... Um, be, be milked. Um, no question about it. Uh, let's see. I dislike winter because there's no baseball and softball and the daylight hours are shorter. Jeff, the worst part of winter is other drivers and putting air in my tires every few days. Yeah, that's, um, that's it. No question about it. Jeff, three months of winter would be great, not seven months. Jeff, I, falling on the ice, I live alone. I figure I'll be laying outside for hours. Well, that's the, uh, you know, that's that's the reality. Jeff, I've lived in eight different states, and I've told many people it's easy to hate the cold snow, but until you experience it, you don't realize how much having sunny days does to lift your spirits. My vote would be give me more sun. There is an element of that. Uh, Jeff, I moved from West Palm Beach, Florida to Racine in 2012, and the thing that I hate most about winter is when you're cold and wet. There's nothing worse than wet socks in the cold. Jeff, and this is the point we were just talking about, I really enjoy having a clean car. 
I even like to keep my so-called winter car clean, and this latest stint of weather has just the cover outside inside of the car with the slickest, muckiest snow and slush I have ever seen. Yeah, I actually, I broke down, I, I got this new car, I've never done this before, but I got I got the liners, you know, the, like the plastic liners for the inside of the car, just because... I was screwing up the carpet so much with all the snow and the things like that. So um, the, the thing I hope, the thing I hate most about winter is the ice. So scary to drive on, and I have new knees, so it's very dangerous to try to walk on. Um, yeah, that's it. Jeff, the thing that annoys me the most about winter is people who complain about winter. It's a Wisconsin season, not a shocker. Some people complain about every other season. Well, I understand. That can annoy you, and if you choose to enjoy and embrace winter, that's the way you have to be. But I think one of the great things is you do have a right to complain. And for me, I understand you're going to get snow. I understand you're going to get cold. But like I say, there is a point in every season where I wave the white flag and say, you know, no moss. For me, that happened today. All right, when we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.